Well, good morning. Aren't you glad you live in El Paso where it's going to be 64 degrees this afternoon? Yes. Would you turn in your Bibles this morning to Genesis chapter 12? Genesis chapter 12. Very interesting, important story. I'd love to have you all read along with me. Lord, as we take these next several moments to uh, examine your word, I pray that you would examine us. I pray that you would look into our hearts. I pray, Father, that you would protect us from foolish decisions. Lord, I pray that you would encourage us once again to stay close to you. There's safety in that. So bless our time together in your word, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So we are looking at some famous but God moments in the scripture. And you run into that phrase a whole lot of times in the Bible. But God. And it shows God's interventing work in our lives. In fact, it's almost like a mathematical equation. On one side of the equation, you have chaos, hopelessness, defeat. And then, but God, resulting in safety and joy and security on the other side of the equation. We are so blessed to have a God that gets us out of trouble. We are so blessed to have a God who will intervene in the affairs of our lives. In our text this morning, Father Abraham gets himself and his wife and everyone with him in a whole lot of trouble. Father Abraham, as you know, is a great man of God. He's a man of faith. God called him out of Ur of the Chaldeans into the promised land, and he did that. It was a mighty step of faith. But notice what happens in verse 10, right after they get to the promised land. Verse 10, now there was a famine in the land, and Abram went down to Egypt to dwell there, for the famine was severe in the land. So he's just got to the promised land, and that's the land of promise. That's where Abraham is supposed to stay put. He's not supposed to leave from that place. That's where God will provide for him. But a famine comes on the land, a severe famine. Food is scarce, water scarce. So Abraham decides to pack up everyone and go down south to Egypt. And going to Egypt was the natural thing to do. Everyone in Canaan and in the Negev desert area, whenever things got tough, they would go down to Egypt. They have the Nile River there, the Delta Nile area, plenty of sources of food. So everyone would go. So Abraham said, 
I'm going to go. Now, this wasn't him abandoning the promised land. This was going to be a temporary trip. Just going to take care of things for a little while. We'll go down south. We'll hang out there. When the famine's over, we'll come back. This was logical. This was practical. This was something that everyone was doing. However, there's no mention of Abraham praying. There's no mention of him seeking God's will on that matter. It's just like his natural reflux. This is what I need to do. And so he takes this step without any consideration for the Lord. Now, going down to Egypt in the Bible is always symbolic of a bad thing. You don't go down to Egypt. Egypt is always a symbol of the world. Going down to Egypt means doubting God's promises and running to the world for help. In fact, Isaiah 31 verse 1 says, Woe to those who go down to Egypt for help and rely on horses, who trust in chariots because they are many, and in horsemen because they are very strong, but who do not look to the Holy One of Israel, nor seek the Lord. So you're in a tight spot. You're not supposed to take matters into your own hands. Abraham, instead of running to God with his problem, is trying to run away from his problem in his own strength. Forgetting about God, thereby creating more problems. Because look what happens. Look at verse 11. And it came to pass when he was close to entering Egypt, that he said to Sarai, his wife, Indeed, I know that you are a woman of beautiful countenance. Therefore, it will happen when the Egyptians see you, they will say, This is his wife, and they'll kill me, and they'll let you live. Please say you are my sister that it may be well with me for your sake and that I may live because of you. Uh Uh-oh, do you detect a little scheming? Little plotting? Little stories? Little cover-up? You're always on the wrong track when you're doing stuff like that. So as they get closer to Egypt... Abraham starts having this fear of something happening. His wife, Sarai, is a beautiful woman. Very beautiful. Noticeably beautiful. And Abraham thinks, you know, the Egyptians are going to see how beautiful my wife is, and they're going to kill me and take her. So he says to his wife, Sarai, honey bunny, You're a knockout, and I don't want to be a knockoff. (laughs) So let's come up with a story. Let's pretend we're not married when we're down in Egypt. We'll be brother. 
and sister. Don't tell anybody you're my wife. Then I'll be okay. Now, I can understand how that might be a good thing for Abram, but how does that help Sarai in any way? Doesn't that place her in a very vulnerable position? Well, understand what they're trying to do. In the ancient Near East, there was a well-known socio-legal institution of fratriarchy that existed over a long period of time. When there is no father, the brother assumes legal guardianship of his sister, particularly with respect to obligations and responsibilities in arranging marriage on her behalf. Therefore, whoever wished to take Sarai to be wife would have to negotiate with her brother, Abram. In this way, Abram could gain time to plan escape. So, They've plotted, they've schemed, they've got an escape plan. We're going to go down to Egypt, we're going to last out this famine. Anybody tries to pick you up, honey, you tell them you're my sister. If they want to pursue you, they have to negotiate all terms with me as your brother. And we'll just play that game, and if it goes too far, then we'll at least have time. We'll buy some time, and we'll be able to to split town. So, brilliant plan. I can see themselves patting each other on the back. Look how clever we are. We're going to make this happen. But still, there is no dependence upon God. God is not in the equation. And it's lying. This is lying. By the way, Scripture tells us that Sarai was actually a half-sister to Abraham. So they're probably justifying. We're not telling a whole lie. Just a half lie. But no, this is deception. This is trickery. This is Abram and Sarai both being cunning. Fixing that problem the way they're going to do it. So great plan. But it completely falls apart. Look at verse 14. So it was when Abram came into Egypt that the Egyptians saw the woman and she was very beautiful. The princes of Pharaoh also saw her and commended her to Pharaoh. And the woman was taken to Pharaoh's house. He treated Abram well for her sake. He had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male and female servants, female donkeys, and camels. So the Egyptians did notice the beauty of Sarai. The princes of Pharaoh noticed her beauty. They commended her to Pharaoh, who also really liked what he saw. And Pharaoh, the number one guy, took Sarai into his house. You see, in this scheme that they came up with, they had forgotten one thing. Pharaoh. Pharaoh doesn't negotiate with anyone. 
Pharaoh sees what he likes, Pharaoh gets what he wants. This whole brother protecting sister thing totally falls apart when it's Pharaoh. So Sarai is taken into the royal harem of Pharaoh. And in return, Pharaoh makes Abram a rich man. Gives him sheep, gives him oxen, male donkeys, female donkeys, and camels. Those were like the luxury vehicles of that time. He got the best stuff. Even gave him female servants and male servants. But my friends, look. His beloved Sarai. He's in the house of Pharaoh. And Abraham's looking at these oxen and these sheep. It all backfired. They are in a big time mess. And, by the way, God had a plan for the union of Abraham and Sarai. The Redeemer was coming from their family. Now, all of that's in jeopardy. There's no way Abram is going to be able to go in there and rescue his wife. It's over. They're plotting. They're scheming. They've made their bed. This should have been the end of their story in Scripture. But, God. God moved. Look at verse 17. But the Lord plagued Pharaoh. Wouldn't you hate to be Pharaoh in the Bible? (laughs) But the Lord plagued Pharaoh and his house with great plagues Because of Sarai, Abram's wife. Now, we don't know what plague this was. Most think it was related to a skin disease. Maybe everyone gets boils on their face. Some even suggest that it may have been a plague of some kind of sexual dysfunction, impotence within the royal house. All of that meant to protect Sarah. Look where Sarai is. This plague comes upon them. It's not impacting Sarai. They're able to investigate and find out that it comes as soon as they brought Sarai into their house. So they investigate. They find out, yep, Sarai is not a sister to Abram. She's his wife. Pharaoh calls for Abram. Verse 18, and Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she's my sister? I might have taken her as my wife. Therefore, here's your wife. Take her and go your way. So Pharaoh commanded his men concerning him, and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. What a terrible thing. You have Abraham, a man of God, a man of faith, a man who, wherever he goes, he's supposed to bring blessings. Here he brings judgment. Here's a godly man being rebuked by an ungodly Pharaoh. 
He's like, Abraham, here, wife, take, go. Get out of here. God moving, though. And what an interesting detail in verse 20. Pharaoh commanded his men concerning him, and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. They sent Abram and Sarai away with all the the donkeys, the male servants, the female servants, everything. So they leave Egypt having acquired all that stuff. Now, is that an act of grace or what? There is no way they could have gotten out of that mess. No way. They were stuck. But God moved. And man, I can look back over my life and remember so many examples of Terry trying to plot and scheme. Doing something in my own strength, making silly choices, saying something stupid, conniving, scheming. Has anybody ever done anything like that? And you look back over your life and you think, oh my goodness, I was this close from going over the edge. But God. God intervened. And oh, what a rescue he did for Abraham and Sarai. But before you think that Abraham and his family got away unscathed, scot-free, think again. Don't use this passage as an excuse for you to go do your own thing. God will bail me out. Look, they went to Egypt, and they even left with more than they went with. Now, wait a minute. There are always consequences when you go down to Egypt. Always. There are always bad things. God rescues us, but there's still consequences. Abraham came this close to losing his family. His marriage... His testimony. Everything that was important in his life. He risked it all. He played games with it. Don't ever do something that risks your family. That risks your marriage. Sadly, um, Sarah and Abraham won't really learn their lesson. Do you realize... Several years later, according to Genesis chapter 20, they'll do the same thing. They'll visit the city called Gerar, which belongs to the Philistines. And the head honcho in charge of that city is a guy with the title, the Abimelech. And they go into the city, same thing. Tell everyone you're my sister. Same thing happens. The Abimelech brings Sarai into his house. He risked it all again. And it's a wonderful thing. Sarai's in his house, but God intervened again. In fact, we're told in Genesis chapter 23, but God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him, indeed, you're a dead man because of the woman whom you have taken, for she is a man's wife. Again, God graciously intervened saving the family but my friends you should never 
Christian father, Christian husband. Don't be a conniver. Don't be a schemer. Don't be that person that runs away from God. Your family needs a spiritual leader. You can put your family in jeopardy when you do things like that. Christian wife, Christian mother. Don't be a plotter, a schemer. Follow the Lord, do what's right. You can put that all in jeopardy. Man, Abraham and his family were saved by the grace of God, but don't you dare live your life presuming upon that grace, trying to take advantage of that. There were other consequences. Abraham and Sarai, they were examples to the next generation. They will have a son, a son by the name of Isaac. And Isaac will grow up and he'll get married to a woman by the name of Rebecca, who's also very beautiful. And in Genesis chapter 26, he goes and visits Gerar with the Abimelech. And guess what he does? The same thing. Like father, like son. Parents. Don't teach your children how to scheme. How to plot. Teach your children how to stay firm. And have faith in God. So this was a struggle in their life that would go on and on and on even into the next generation. And then what about their witness? Do you think Abram... And Sarai were a good witness to Pharaoh, (laughs) the Abimelech. No, Abram remained silent under Pharaoh's reproach, uttering not a word. What could he say? Abram would build no altars in Egypt. Neither would he proclaim the name of the Lord there. Abram and his entourage humbly crept out of Egypt. See, you take matters into your own hands. You get so smart and you run. And it creates problems, not just for you, but other people. It has an impact on your witness. This blew Abram's reputation. It's been said, your disobedience is a rock thrown into a pond. It creates ripples that move over the water in ever-expanding circles. You have no idea the extent your sin may reach. Because you refuse to follow God's will, you may rob future generations of God's blessing. Don't overestimate the ramifications of disobedience. Trust me, sin complicates. Your sin complicates life for yourself and for other people. There's always consequences when you go down to Egypt. But wait, they got so much more money. They got all this wealth. They got the, and they brought the servants and all of that. Well, it was sudden wealth. And sudden wealth isn't all that healthy for a family. Ask families when they're trying to figure out an inheritance. And talking about a will. Or 
it'd be interesting to find out what happens to families when somebody wins the lottery. And as it turns out, they did come back with all this wealth. But did you realize that it separated the family? Lot starts having his stuff. Abram has his stuff. Lot's servants start fighting with Abraham's servants. They're fighting over wells and property and all of these things. So they ended up dividing. They ended up separating. All that wealth separated a family. And then you remember the story. When they disagreed to separate, Abram was very gracious and said, Lot, I'll let you choose. You pick whatever area you want. It's interesting how Lot made his decision. Lot lifted his eyes, saw all the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, as you go towards Zor. Oh, Lot loved what he saw in Egypt. And when he came home, he'd look for the place that looked like Egypt. And so he did go to the best spot, the best looking spot, but also the most wicked spot, Sodom and Gomorrah. And later on, Lot would lose his wife and the absolute destruction that that family would face, probably getting a lot of ideas from that visit to Egypt. They brought male servants and female servants home. You remember that. Well, one of the female servants became a maidservant to Sarah, an Egyptian maidservant. You know what her name was? Hagar. Where'd they get Hagar? When they went down to Egypt. Hmm. When Abraham and Sarah could not have children, they were convinced that they couldn't do it. They agreed to make Hagar a surrogate mother in place of Sarah, again taking matters into their own hands. Hagar conceives by Abraham and gives birth to a son whom they called Ishmael. It literally brought so much conflict into the family. Sarah and Hagar fighting. And then miraculously, years later, God makes good on his promise if they had been patient they're given a son Isaac so now you have Isaac and you have Ishmael and Isaac and Ishmael are fighting and there's turmoil in the family so eventually Hagar and Ishmael have to be sent out that all started in Egypt by the way it's interesting Ishmael has become the father he became the father of all the Arabs And Isaac became the father of all the Jews. There's been a little bit of conflict between those folks. (laughs) I mean, you talk about ripples. So it's very, very important to understand that, yeah, God is a God of grace. And we're so grateful that he he gets us out of trouble, right? But don't run. Stay put. Abraham never should have left the promised land. 
God would have taken care of him and his family. God didn't send Abraham and his family into the promised land to kill them. And if they had waited and stayed and had faith, think of the miracle they would have experienced. They weren't supposed to tell lies and play this little game. They should have trusted in the Lord. And so, my friend, I would say to you as well, trust in the Lord. Never take matters into your own hand. Run everything by God. Surrender to him and stay surrendered. Learn lessons the easy way. Right? Stay put. Stay close. This whole story reminded me of the story of Jonah the prophet. You remember his story? God gave him such a clear command in Jonah, in Jonah chapter 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. That's pretty easy to understand, right? Get up, go to Nineveh, and preach. That's what I want you to do. But Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare, went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Now this is one of the most blatant examples of disobedience in all of scripture. This is like a little kid completely turning their back. I mean, you got to see this on a map. God told him to go to Nineveh, 550 miles northeast. This guy's going to go 2,500 miles in the opposite direction to Tarshish. He said, no. And in fact, the language there in the, in, 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 the, in the Hebrew, I resign. I'm no longer a prophet. I'm out of Dodge. I'm leaving. And so he goes down to Joppa and he finds the ship that's going to Tarshish. And he pays the fare. And he goes onto the ship. And he buries himself in the very bottom of the ship. And he's low profile. He's not letting anybody know who he is. Everyone else is up on board. And he is just, he's, he's leaving the scene. But the Lord sent out a great wind on the sea. And there was a mighty tempest on the sea. So that the ship was about to be broken up. Now, this is a monster storm. The, Lord, the, the, the language is God hurled a typhoon right at that boat to completely break it apart. You have mariners on the boat who've been sailing all their lives. They're scared to death. Everyone knows this is a divine thing. This isn't natural. We need to find out who the troublemaker is. They find Jonah on the bottom of the boat. They bring, hey, who are you, man? And he still doesn't come clean. So then they cast lots to see if, if, if it'll point out who the problem is on the ship. They cast lots, and where does it point to? Jonah. God sent a storm, then God sent the roll of a die. Jonas pointed out, Jonas says, if you want to save your life, throw me off your boat. 
They throw him off the boat. But God sends a fish, a great fish, who swallows Jonah. And Jonah will be in the belly of a fish, wrapped in seaweed, for three days and three nights. And then eventually, Jonah becomes fish barf. Thrown up on the shores. And then in Jonah chapter 3 verse 1, God says to Jonah, arise up and go to Nineveh. (laughs) And he went. But boy, it could have been easier. Right? It could have been easier. Now, I mean, you look look at at a story like the one with Jonah, and here's a guy who was so rebellious. He knew the Lord. But he absolutely turned. God could have let him go. He really could have. But God loved Jonah too much. And so he sent the storm. He sent the cast of the die. He sent the fish. Our God is a God of grace and he'll run us down. But we can make it easier on ourselves, don't you think? Well, my friend, big lesson. Stay put. Stay close to him. Now, you may be having an area, a time in life that has become really complicated right now. I mean, you're living in this complicated, you got this complicated, weird decision, and you're, you're, the wheels are spinning. You're thinking, man, you're plotting. Listen, don't leave God out of that. Don't. Seek the Lord on that. And, and don't move, don't do anything until you get, let God lead you. He'll guide you, he'll show you the decision that you're going to make. And certainly if you're living in rebellion against the Lord and you know that, turn back to him. Because he will send the storm. He will get your attention. Do it the easy way, amen? Would you bow your heads with me and close your eyes? Father, I do pray that you would give your people great wisdom and discernment, Lord. To hear your voice. We live in complicated times, Lord, and there are complicated issues that we're facing. Families seated all over this sanctuary right now are facing challenging decisions. And there's so many different voices to listen to. There's so many different people giving advice. God, I pray that you would help us to hear your voice and to obey your voice. Lord, we thank you for your grace. We thank you that you rescue us from stupid things that we do, choices that we make. And yet, Lord, give us wisdom not to make those choices. Father, I want to pray for anyone here 
who's running away from, from you. Maybe you're a Christian, but you've been running away from God for a long time. Maybe he did something just recently in your life that really got your attention. Run back to him. Maybe that's why you're here. This morning. He got your attention again. Okay, run to him. Give him your life. Surrender your life to him again. Every area of your life. that's you just in the quietness of your heart he'll he'll receive you right back he really will to say lord i want to come back i want to i want to return to you i'm tired of running made so many mistakes lord help me help me rescue me I return to you. Be my Lord and Savior. Be first place in my life. Fill me afresh with your Holy Spirit. Help me to follow you. Let's stand together. As we close with this last song together, If you need prayer, or maybe you just want to come up and pray during this song, just come on up and pray. Or we'll pray with you, for you. If you prayed to receive Christ as your Savior or you're returning to him, let someone know so we can be that support that you need. Everyone needs that support. You make a decision, you need to tell someone. That way people can come around and help you in that. So we're available.